and welcome to our first brew with Captain Stu of the new year. With tensions still high over a potential conflict in Ukraine, we're taking a look at how wartime impacts supply chains and our seafaring community. Keep listening to find out how seafarers manage the uncertainties of global conflict, why wartime might mean being told to get stuffed, and to find out if anyone in shipping really does love a good war. But first, Captain Stew's going to try to explain how come he started his day with a bill to pay, somewhere in a noisy bar in the Philippines. Virgin Media wanting to increase it by £8.50. So I thought, is it is it worth the hassle? Is it worth the pain of even thinking of calling Virgin? <laughs> and I um, thought for £8.50, I'll do it. So having gone to South Africa and Philippines this morning, maybe via Glasgow, entering all of my personal details, including inside leg, I get a guy that, uh, there's no point. We would we don't have enough time in the day to listen to my my frustrations and anger and and volume of my voice as it's getting further and further along. Can I just confirm your updated phone number? I, I, I haven't updated my phone number. You know I haven't updated my phone number. Can I have your updated email? No, you've already got my fucking email. Why do you need to update it? Can we just talk about the eight pound fifty? I was then treated like they all treat you now. I think it's in their training, isn't it? SOPs. When voice gets to a certain level, when it gets to the orange or possible red, <laughs> just press end. And you get, Did you get you cut get, off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got cut off. Cut off. Oh, stew. I give them five minutes. And if they can't answer my question, I demand that they put me through to their supervisor. So you know £8.50 to- is enough to go through hell. Where where would we six pound fifty five pound fifty? Where would you? Where's your level of sadism? What, what? I, I think I think five pounds sufficient. I think okay. five pound. I think five pound. Anything over five pound is worth the pain. But it's been sitting on my desk to, it's, it, for weeks. And part of my daily routine is I do my thing. I look at my job list for the day and I take any paperwork out and I just do one a day. And every time this has come out of the pile, I've put it back knowing (laughs) that there's going to be pain. And I just thought this has been here for one month. It is going to go up on the 1st of March if I don't do it now. Anyway. So what is the most what is the most vexing part of this then? Is it the eight pound fifty, or is it the journey through the Philippines and all those other places you went to, uh, or 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 is it the fact that you got cut off when you were in mid rant? Is that kind of is that the is 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 that the problem? Uh, you know, is this is this the the the, the lack of resilience in the customer service uh, <laughs> community because they can't they can't Don't take the you. crap that you're dealing out? What what is the most vexing part of that? I, I think it's, it's nailed down to one thing. You you just know that when you're patched through, you've gone through all of this time delay because they they don't want you to call them. So you know full well that when you engage on this process, they're doing one thing and one thing only. They want to tire you. They want to tire you before battle. And <laughs> when you arrive there, it it feels and sounds like you've been patched through to 
some sort of like late night bar in the Philippines and somebody's walked past the phone and accidentally answered it and has absolutely no idea what they're doing and why they're doing it. And it comes to some surprise that one, you're a Virgin Media customer, two, that you actually want to communicate effectively on the details of the billing and that you want to negotiate a new package. That just seems like it's like, what? You know, you've called you've called uh, the Manila Zoo here, mate. You know, it's not Virgin Media. That's I mean, what it can't me. it can't be a late night bar in the Philippines because they'd already have Captain Nichols' payment details. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, Captain yeah. Nichols, welcome back. Yeah, welcome back, Captain <laughs> Stu. We haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> well, if we're talking that, it would have been more than eight pound fifty. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can, I can I can remember a, a few late night bars in the Philippines, but then that's another story, is it not? That's yeah. a separate yeah. podcast. It probably is. It, it probably, probably is. is. Okay, let's talk about what's going on this week. The big news is the potential of a war on Europe's doorstep. If we do see a move to an actual conflict, what's that going to mean for our seafaring community? Well, actually, actually I think. Just the suggestion of conflict is enough. It's mm. good. That's good enough. That, that gets the uh, shipping loves a good. Sure, there are some people in shipping who love a good war because mm. it means you get um, supply chain uncertainty, oil price, commodity price volatility, all of those things, and people make a lot of money off the back of that. And the poor old sailors, they're kind of stuck on the ship, and they are kind of innocent bystanders to all, all of that, mm. and or, or, and and sometimes not in, they're they're the victims. Um, I'm, I'm sure that you know there've been several conflicts over the period that we've all been involved in, mm. in shipping, whether it be you know, the Falklands conflict back in the early '80s, the Iran-Iraq war, sometimes called the Tanker War. You've had Somali piracy. You've had the, the various Gulf Wars. And, you know, shipping's always, in some respects, the war can't happen without shipping either. So um, and so the sailors are in there. I can remember being on one ship where I think the, uh, the P&R, we were worth $25,000 dead uh, in 1984 or five, I think it was. And they upped our P&I cover, so we were worth $50,000 dead if we got killed in that particular <laughs> conflict. I'm not sure how my mother felt about that, to be honest with you, but, um, um, but, but I think that's one of the things. So I think we've all had experience of, 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 um, of, of conflict. Seafarers are instrumental or necessary uh, to, keep, to keep the war going. You've got to get supplies. And there are a whole bunch of things around that, around commodities and prices, which make trading more volatile and more lucrative uh, for some. Rarely, the sailors might not so much. They don't get so much out of that, really, except the stress. So, Mike, could you like where just describe where Ukraine sits in terms of where it is on the world map? It's I know it's on the edge of the Black Sea. Good start. Yeah, that's about it. Tell, yeah. tell me where it sits within, I suppose, the global supply chain. Well, within within Ukraine, I mean, it's a major major source of various commodities, including grain. Uh, there's oil and gas goes through there, um, and it has a major major port, so it's part of the infrastructure. It is it is a buffer state between Europe and uh, the former Soviet Union. Um, whether it remains a buffer state is is that's the point of contention, really, um, and 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 so. 
it's it's and probably it's it's status as a buffer state is where 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 this this heat is is coming from because it, it it wants to assure its own security and that means being uh, part of NATO and and that's and and Russia saying you can't have NATO right on its on its on its border and that's part of the tension of it all now. Um, but in in itself, it, it is a country that their resources pass through. Um, Russia has a certain amount of control over energy supplies into Europe from through through other sort of nodes, if you like. And so, yeah, it's it's a very very tense time and a lot of um, uh, you know a very risky time for 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 us. Sailors will just do what they do, and they will continue to be asked to do to what they do, um, and and uh but just the circumstances will change and it'll just get more difficult and will the bc fairers sitting on vessels now worrying about the potential of a conflict or or do you think we haven't got to that stage yet um seafarers will just get on with what they're doing regardless what what would be going on in your mind if you're on a vessel at the moment i think generally speaking it's a little bit early to say what what normally triggers the change is something like the joint war committee in 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 the london insurance market declares it as you know an, a no-go area of what kind i don't think that's been done yet but i could be wrong maybe what the other guys might know but um i don't think it's become uh, an area a no-go area just yet but did we not used to have to sign as seafarers when we moved into the war zone did our articles not change i seem to remember the Iran and Iraq war and certainly the Gulf war when we went round the corner and we went through the a bit further straits of Hormoz, he used to, the old man would call you up and you'd have to sign. I'm not sure what the purpose of signing was. It was, you couldn't say no uh, and get off the <laughs> do you, ship, but do you I don't remember that. Do you, do you remember, do you remember how they did it though? You had to sign the new articles before you signed off the old ones. So there was no opportunity for you to sign you so they didn't sign you off the old articles and say would you like to sign the new articles they got you to sign the new articles for, first before they signed signed you off the old ones so it's i like never knew sign, that i just they, signed. Yeah, it, was, it was a deliberate ploy to make sure you didn't say oh screw you pal i'm off <laughs> so what are these articles what what do you mean by them Steve, uh, what? what do you do with the article? I, it was just an administrative burden for the captain, if I remember rightly. Articles were your contract of service on board. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and I actually, note to self, why are they called articles? It, 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 goes, it, goes, back, that's, it goes back way into history, I think, but the, why you signed on articles. Why you, cause it's, it's just part of that kind of some of those seafaring words when you have no idea why you use them <laughs> you used to just call it sign on uh louise and it was the first thing you'd but it was the second or possibly the third thing that you would do when you got on board run up see your uh relief uh say hello to him drop your bag get changed and then depending on whether you were on shift or not and then they'd say the old man wants to see you wants you to sign on and once you signed on that was pretty much it once you'd so your name with it, I think I think articles again. So that the articles were kind of like a running contract. I think they lasted for two years, mm-hmm. but within within those two years, people could sign on and sign off within the duration of this like overriding contract. And then at two years, the whole thing had to stop, and then everybody That's had true. to everybody got everybody got signed off and signed on. 
But what they used to do, just to make sure you didn't bugger off and say, well, I've signed off now so I can go home, they used to make you sign on the new articles before they would sign you off the old ones, before they would close the articles. That was, that was, the, that was the, uh, the way that it went. I mean, the I, issue I, of seafarers and conflict, that the, the very first trip I had as cadet was uh, at the start of the first Gulf War, and we were in Saudi. And all of a sudden, there was a load of chitter-chatter, and we were watching on the TV as the first um, bombs were dropped, etc. And then someone said we were going to Jordan, which was going to be linked because of its proximity to Iraq and all the rest of it. And then there was this talk of all the, you know, I'd say changes to articles and should we go, shouldn't we, and all the rest of it. And so as a kid, I was not only my mind was blown by what on earth am I doing on this big floating piece of steel, uh, it was like, now I'm going to get dragged into a war. What on earth is happening? Why have I put myself through this? And just mm. remembering that, like, what is this business all about? Uh, we didn't end up going there in the end, but it was just that kind of learning the very hard way of like these incredible constant knock-on effects of everything that ships and then obviously the poor sods on them are linked to and there's no escape from these pressures that surround you you're on a ship so everything that shipping is involved in comes to your door your bunk your wallet your everything your house and when you your house yeah and when and when you sign up as a as a cadet seafarer or whatever you're called when you first become mm -hmm. a seafarer is this something that you are conscious of, of you're aware of to people does anyone sit you down and say look yes life at sea isn't <laughs> going to be that easy you know they, they do it's called um uh, it's part of your cadet training it's a two day it may even be a one day and i still have the certificate somewhere saying it's the merchant navy military training uh, module and <laughs> the royal navy come in for one day and explain what happens when we go to war um and they will say you know we we're, we're full of guns and we'll push you over first and you've got no guns and if you survive that's all good we'll follow you there's a great there's a great expression louise it's called so the uk has this thing called stuffed s-t-u-f-t which is ships taken up from trade so get stuffed <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's pretty much. Yeah, yes. that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it. people, a lot of people ashore, don't realise that merchant ships are vital in war, and mm. they are they're either chartered in or, in, in the case Michael know better when when we when we did have a big British flagged fleet, uh, some of them were on a long term contract to be seconded in the in the time of war. I was with PO for the. Uh, around Iraq, and I was with PO still for the first Gulf War. And unlike Steve, I, I was still a cadet uh, for the first Gulf War. And we knew before we joined, they asked uh, if everyone was okay with it. Um, when I joined, everyone seemed pretty excited. Uh, what I do remember is that everyone was excited about the extra pay as soon as you crossed <laughs> over the, the war zone line. And a lot of people would chat with the captain to ensure that he crossed it a bit earlier in the books than actually did so they could get a bit more money. But there's only one guy on the ship who doesn't get paid anything extra to go into a war zone. And that is the cadet. Cadet didn't get oh, any, P&O didn't pay extra for cadets. But for me, I was just super, super excited. It was a, 
it, it wasn't a dream, but it was just like, I want to do this. I want to go. Uh, so we were on a shuttle run uh, coming out of Dubai and somewhere else in Saudi Arabia. I can't remember the name. And we were running up to Iraq, uh, actually into Kuwait, uh, delivering supplies. And we would run at night and then go back. And uh, my, my vivid memory is uh, we had a pretty dodgy engine on the ship and we were escorted in at night and uh, we lost the engines as we were coming in and we drifted into a minefield and it was declared and there was radio chatter and it was a British uh, bosun forward with me uh, on the anchor, manning the anchor as you always do as you approach and we started to drift into the minefield and the old man wanted radio silence and I remember the bosun just uh, rolling a cigarette and I've never seen the biggest cigarette I've ever seen rolled and he just sat back and we drifted through and then um, we realized that uh, we couldn't start the main engines either, even if we wanted to, because we were now drifting in this minefield. And I, I, I remember us drifting for about three or four hours and then the engine started and off we went and went alongside, did the discharge and came back out again. Um, but when I got back to the accommodation and there was a lot of uh, stressed and white faces, particularly the old man. So they'd gone through hell and back. Um, we just sat up the up the front and if we were going to go it would have been us that went first because we were so, right at the wow. front so so my yeah it's it's i think the, the thing that struck me about it uh, i was in so the main conflict that i was involved in as in uh, serving at sea was in the iran iraq war which is again which is before the the iraq invaded kuwait and we had the, the foot what what is now called the first gulf war um i'm assuming they ignored the iran iraq war because we weren't involved in it so it doesn't count but but <laughs> But anyway, it counted for the sailors that were there. I think it was something like 500 sailors were killed in that in that conflict uh, from multiple flags, different ships and whatever. Um, but I, the thing about it was just the and, and I guess it must it might be the same for people in the services. You're on a very high state of alert, but actually powerless. There's not there's what what can you do? Mm. And I was I was on a chemical tanker that was the same color orange as Steve's shirt and the listeners won't know how vivid that orange is and you you do sit there on the ship painted bright orange thinking is this a really good idea to be to be in this place right now and uh you had all these things like uh, you'd black out the ship at night and um but the, the the wake was glowing because it's the persian gulf and there's lots of bioluminescence in the water so and then you'd be lovely love you provided a lovely silhouette against the oil and gas fields and the gas flares <laughs> and stuff so your 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 opportunities to operate in stealth mode on a on a con on a chemical tanker that's painted bright orange are very very limited and we we ended up we we, we wanted to buy uh, we had to we, we wanted to do some damage control stuff so we on the way down we'd ordered timber but we couldn't get the the stout bulks of timber that we used to refer to in our oral examinations we could only get some two by four which really wasn't going to get us very far in terms of controlling water ingress so and and the the the, the, the nonsense of it as well it's quite often the seafarers get to see the nonsense of, of some of the stuff that goes around conflict so iran iraq are at war the international community says we're not going to supply the combatants. Nobody supplies the combatants with anything. So you're on a chemical tanker that goes and loads aviation fuel, kerosene for tanks and God knows what in a country actually that's now involved in a conflict over Ukraine. So there is a link. So you, you load all those cargoes and you're told to head for Suez Canal for orders, for example. 
But then you stop off at Greece, you get a whole set of new documents for the cargo that says it didn't come from where you loaded it at all. It came from somewhere else. And you then you so then you pursue down and then you go you go down Suez. Oh, you're going through Suez now. Where, where do you go next? You go to Hormuz for orders. Oh, okay, straight to Hormuz, fine. Oh, you're now in the conflict zone. Where's the cargo going? Oh, you're discharging in Iran, it's a place called Siri Island. And you think, but hang about. Oh, but our cargo didn't come from where we loaded it from, so we can now discharge it here safely. And then you go there, and then you you, you discharge the cargo at Siri Island, which never happened. And then you go; to, they send you to where are you going now? We're going to go to oh um, Bahrain for orders. Okay, head towards Bahrain. Load oh aviation fuel, kerosene for tanks. And then they said, oh, where are you going now? Hormuz for orders. Okay, so you can leave Bahrain because the cargo's not going to anywhere. Any of the combatants, it's just going out into the Ogin. And then as soon as you pass the sea boy, they say, oh, you're going back to Iran again. Wow. And it goes on around. and it goes, it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And, and, and the seafarers just get to see this. And it, they, 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 must, they must have so little faith sometimes in the international community. And there's very, there's very little that's happened since then, actually. If you think about Somali piracy, the length of time it took the international community to respond it's that idea that we've we've done on this podcast before. Nobody gives a shit about seafarers. <laughs> when um, my involvement with with the Iran Iraq was slightly different in that my dad was on um, Hilda Nudson, which was I think at the time it was the third largest VLCC, so third largest tanker in the world going up and down the Gulf. So as a kid, I was at home. You know, seeing the news of explosions and all the rest of it, and occasional phone calls of a Sunday from him. But you know, you so the seafarer and all that they go through. But then the families at home mm. who who maybe don't have that luxury of you know what will be, what will be. It's just a constant kind of oh my god, you know what will today bring? And that you know going to school every morning, you know thinking poor, you know what's going on? Where's you know what? What's going to happen? Are you going to get that call and all the rest of it? So, you know, the war zone, the seafarers going in, they have their challenges and all the rest of it, but that's magnified tenfold by all the people that they are actually, you know, leaving behind who are worried and stressed and maybe not in that mindset of coping. It's just, yeah. wow, what on earth do we do? Nothing. You just wait. Yeah. And, and, of course and, you and yet you you followed your dad into the into the Merchant Navy anyway, so... I've not been very good at learning lessons throughout life, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it obviously so I, wasn't that the, the, fun, the, funny, the funny thing about, sort of funny thing, one of the odd things about, about, about that experience is that you're at sea. You, how many ships do you think you've encountered during your seafaring career? But I can, that particular period, the San Andaj, the Susangara, they were ships that we discharged to, and they were ex-Irano British tankers, I believe. And then ships like the Cypriot tanker, the Wise, Bow Fighter, the Gogo Regal. These were ships that were casualties during during that conflict. You remember them all, and and you know, there's no question about numbers of ships that I didn't, you know, that, that I've just forgotten over over the years. But that sort of experience, it does sort of heighten your 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 awareness, I think. And and uh, the, the funny thing, the, the Cypriot tanker, the Wise, for example, she was attacked by gunboats, I think, or helicopters, and um, we we were on the on we were anchored on the bridge and you're having a cup of coffee me the old man uh, captain and a couple of others and then on the VHF this mayhem was was playing out as the crew were shot at panicked 
on fire. Ship goes around in ever decreasing circles. They abandon ship at full speed. A lot of them got killed trying to do that. But you're just having a cup of coffee on the bridge, and and so, but you're witnessing or hearing this this stuff. So, I think for for seafarers, it's that it, this distance and this proximity as well, and 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 powerlessness. I think that's probably the the thing. Um, yeah, it's in, it's 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 a fun. You know, you, you have no real purpose or skin in the game. You're not a combatant, but you're in. You're in a combat zone, I suppose. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's as, as usual. The seafarer always has the best seat in the house for observing <laughs> the world, doesn't he? I think that's yeah. that's what we all miss about being at sea. Is you get you get to observe everything that's going on. And today's mm. conversation is about war, and you'll have a lot of people talking about. I was in. I was in the war, you know. And I, I was in the war. You, you, you really are just an active observer and uh, just by by wrong time wrong place uh and, and wrong ship at that time you're you are going to war that's what you're doing uh, this trip um some people see it as an adventure depending on your age i thought it was great it was something that i really enjoyed but, and but in never forgot. But, it, but of course in the in the big conflict world war ii you know, supply chain again, very, very much into focus. The Battle of the Atlantic, which you know, yep. uh, Steve's uh, right up in the right place for all that stuff. And of course, so and even if something like the Ever Given was a bit of a reminder of the mm. importance of supply chain and the importance of yeah. ships in keeping us all fed and watered, because of course, uh, you know, these these days, of course, you know, the, the supply chain can be very dram dramatic outcomes, like you know, McDonald's running out of chips in uh, in, in 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 Japan. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I yeah. saw that. I saw that. How how does that work? Uh, I have to say that I'm a McDonald's chip guy, but I'm an I'm a Burger King burger man. If you could put the two together, that would be the perfect. <laughs> mm. I think it was good. We did we did need to lighten the mood a bit. I think so. That was a really good really good segue there. Into, you, your your Deliveroo guy must love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen, it's been a fairly heroic edition of Brew with Stew this yeah. week. I think you will agree. Um, but I am going to have to call time. Our smoko is firmly up. Shall we leave it there? And look yeah, forward to the next uh, time? Yeah, and have a happy, happy February, Louise. Yeah, we can say happy February. <laughs> happy February. Happy February. Well, we're a bit late with the Happy New Year's, but we do hope your 2022 has started well. Join us next time we all meet for a brew with the captain. And until then, thanks for listening.